Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Corey assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson is Sharpening the Axe. Sharpening the Axe. The subtitle, Uncovering the Sin Beneath the Sin. Brothers and sisters, today will be a, it'll be a lesson in regards to self-examination, in regards to spiritual warfare. The Bible says in the book of Revelations that we are in the time of temptation, brothers and sisters. We're in the day of temptation, uh, brothers and sisters, and we're going to, we're going to have to, at some point, all the information that you've learned, that you've read, that you've prayed about, it's actually going to be time to use that information, brothers and sisters, to just be online and, and listening to the broadcast and all that and Bible study at home by yourself. All that's great, brothers and sisters. But you're actually going to have to apply all the tenets that you have learned, brothers and sisters. Today, we're going to shed light on issues that we have, brothers and sisters. Why? Because what I discovered is light is the best disinfectant, brothers and sisters. Many of us are battling. Our people are battling. Our people are battling right now. And who are they battling first and foremost? Themselves. We're battling ourselves, brothers and sisters. The only person, the only entity that can beat us is ourselves. So we'll deal with that today, brothers and sisters. How to put ourselves, our own bodies, into subjection, right? Let's go to Ecclesiastes, the 10th chapter, the 10th verse. The title today, Sharpening the Axe. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 10. If the iron be blunt and he do not wet the edge, then must he put to more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. Brothers and sisters, this passage teaches that what? That there's wisdom in preparation. The text presents an alternative. Either spend time sharpening your axe or exhaust your strength utilizing a dull one, right? Listen to it again, please. Verse 10. If the iron be blunt. If the iron be what? Dull. And he do not wet the edge. He doesn't sharpen the edge. Then must he put to more strength. He has to utilize more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. See, so he's telling you the less wisdom used, the greater the strength required, brothers and sisters. He's telling us clearly, uh, this is Solomon here speaking, a little wisdom will ease the efforts of life, brothers and sisters. So if I have, if I have six hours to cut down a tree, I'll use four hours sharpening my axe, brothers and sisters, right? Remember that? That um, that saying, that phrase when we were growing up is to work harder, work smarter, not harder. That's where this comes. That's where that that uh, phrase comes from, brothers and sisters. This particular text. Can you read that one more time, brother Corey? Verse ten. If the iron be blunt and he do not wet the edge, then must he put two more strength. Now I have to swing the axe harder. But wisdom is profitable to direct. See, so wisdom helps accomplish the goal without much effort. See that, brothers and sisters? We're, we're learning that application of biblical principles will make life our servant. 
It's clear there, brothers and sisters. If your iron, if your axe be dull and you refuse to sharpen the edge, then you're going to have to swing the axe a hundred times instead of five, a hundred times instead of 20. This is where we are, brothers and sisters. The title today, Sharpening the Axe. Follow us to Matthew, brothers and sisters. Let's go to the gospel. Matthew, the seventh chapter and the 16th verse. We'll have Brother Corey read 16 through 18. Matthew 7 and 16. Ye shall know them by their fruits. By what? Their fruits. Our primary purpose of existence is to bear fruit, brothers and sisters, and therefore are judged in accordance with what we produce. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns, or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit. Can you read that again? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit. This is an infallible principle, both in the natural and the spiritual realm, brothers and sisters. But a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? As is the tree, so is the fruit. If the tree is good, it will bring forth good fruit. So what are we seeing? We see that the law of nature is true of people as well as trees, brothers and sisters. We're going to read those three scriptures again because we, we don't want you to miss the principle being taught in the text. Verse 16. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns? According to the Messiah, a person's profession of faith means absolutely nothing before God. You shall know them by their fruits, not their words. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. So it's clear, brothers and sisters, it's not a question of production. You see that? Because all bear fruit, but they're distinguished by the type of fruit being produced. Listen closely to verse 17, brothers and sisters. 17. Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit. If it's a good tree, it's bringing forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. So he's telling you, you're fruitful. Everyone's fruitful. It's just what type of fruit you're producing. So everyone is fruitful, brothers and sisters, right? Verse 18. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. So what is he focusing on? He's not focusing on the fruit. He's focusing on the tree in verse 18, right? He's saying, you know what type of tree it is based on the fruit. That's key. But it's not about the fruit. It's about the tree. Let us show. Let's go to Luke, brothers and sisters. We understand the gospel. Luke, the third chapter. We're going to have Brother Corey read the eighth and ninth verse. Luke 3 and 8. <clears throat> bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves we have Abraham to our father brothers and sisters John's subtle wording is important Israel I need you to listen to verse 8 verse 8 bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance bring forth fruits worthy of repentance so brothers and sisters repentance is an inward change of disposition. And if authentic, is preceded by an alteration where? In personal conduct. 
So he said, bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. In order for your repentance to be worthy or genuine or authentic, how do we test the authenticity? Can you read that again? Verse 8, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say within yourselves. Say what, brother? We have Abraham to our father. I'm an Israelite. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Mm. You see that, brothers and sisters? You see that? John tells us not to underestimate the importance of our private life. Why? Because the outward life expresses the inward life. See, so this is key because many of our people... The, the identity is enough. I just want white people to know I'm God's chosen. I'm a Jew in Deuteronomy 28. But when it comes to the behavior, when it comes to the conduct, right? When it comes to the conduct, we don't want to be Israel. So he's telling you, don't think that you're lineage. I don't care if you just got off the slave ship. If you're going to try to use that to get into the kingdom, I can raise up rocks. I can raise up stones to be the children of Abraham, the children of Israel. Why? He's telling us to be humble, brothers and sisters. Don't think that you're better than you are, Israel, okay? Let's read verse 9. Luke 3 and 9. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which brings not forth good fruit is hewn down. And cast into the fire. Brothers and sisters, did you catch that? Did you see that? First thing we learned, brothers and sisters, in verse 8, is that according to John, repentance bereft of change is authentic. That's the, that's the first part that we learned. What is the principle taught in verse 9? If you notice, brothers and sisters, instead of concentrating on the fruit, he directs our focus to the root, right? Verse 9. <clears throat> verse 9. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. He meticulously directs our focus to the root. You see that, brothers and sisters? Why? Because if you don't lay the axe to the root, the fruit will continue to grow. You see that, brothers and sisters? <laughs> the fruit will continue to grow. If Brother Corey and I go... Pick every apple off an apple tree. What's going to transpire next summer, next year? Those fruit, The fruit will come back, brothers and sisters. So he's telling you that if you lay the axe to the root of the tree, <laughs> you don't have to worry about the fruit because the whole thing's going to die. See, this is key, brothers and sisters. We're trying to cut off specific sins, right? He's telling you there's a root there. See? So it's not just about having good fruit. It's about having bad fruit, brothers and sisters. Everyone's fruitful, so you either have bad fruit or good fruit. Take a look in the mirror, brothers and sisters. What, what type of fruit are you bearing, brothers and sisters? What type of fruit are you bearing? He's telling you what. Can you read 9 again, brother? <clears throat> Verse 9. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Look at that. It's laid to the root of the trees. Why? Every tree, therefore, which brings not forth good fruit is hewn down. Look at that. So he didn't say every tree that doesn't bring forth fruit. He said, if you bring, if you bring forth bad fruit, I'm going to cut you down from the root and throw you into the fire. That's absolutely critical, brothers and sisters. We've read this scripture many times, but never, you know, 
never applied it to what we're speaking of today. He's saying, yeah, it's okay to worry about the fruit. That's fine. But the way, you know, use the wisdom. Are you going to cut down every fruit out there or are you going to just cut down the cut at the root? See, this is the wisdom, brothers and sisters. If a man wet the edge of his axe, less strength is needed. He's saying, listen, you trying to pick each sin. Well, well, let me stop doing this and let me stop doing that. Let me stop doing that. That's fine. But understand those things come back, brothers and sisters. If once you've been in this truth, on this path for X amount of years, brothers and sisters, you'll start to see a circle. You'll start to see the things that you you thought you were over, that you were past because you found out you were Israel, because you found out pork was wrong. And now those things creep back in. They creep back in about two, three Four, five, six years later, brothers and sisters. The first year, you're just so excited. <laughs> you're just so excited to know you have value and I want to debate Christians. All oh, that's fine. But once it settles in, brothers and sisters, once it settles in, those fruits begin to come back. Why? Why? Let's read 8 and 9 one more time. Luke 3, verse 8. Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Where is it laid, brother? The root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. See that, brothers and sisters? We just wanted to show that what? He was... Focusing on the root, not the fruit, not the root, excuse me, not the fruit, but the root. He's saying, listen, I'm, in order to cut off the, the production of bad fruit, I have to get it at the root. Let us show that, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Christ. Let's go to Matthew 13. Follow us there. We're going to go to Matthew 13 and we'll start at verse, let's start at verse 16, brothers and sisters. Matthew 13, verse 6. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Brothers and sisters, the principle taught in this text is that where there is root, there will also be fruit. Listen to, listen to, the, listen to the text, brothers and sisters. Verse 6. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, since they had no root, they withered away. See, so in order to eliminate the production of fruit indefinitely, the root must be targeted. Brothers and sisters, many of us have pulled weeds before, brothers and sisters. And what did your grandmother say? What did your mother and father say? Pull it up by the root, because if you don't, it'll come back. See, so that same principle is here. Listen, Christian taught us about fruit and all that, right? But how do I deal with it? How do I kill it indefinitely? Not to choose each sin individually. That's fine. That works. But it always comes back, brothers and sisters. It always, it always comes back. It comes back. Remember, what did the gospel say? When a spirit is, when an evil spirit goes out of a man, <laughs> right? When it goes out of him, man, it makes a round trip. Right? 
Usually it goes out through fasting and prayer or through baptism. But it comes back, brothers and sisters, just to check on you see, you know, if you left the door unlocked. If you left the door unlocked, then you know what? I'm going to go get seven others. We're going to come back. And why am I getting seven others? Because you casted me out at some point. But if I bring these others, you won't be able to identify which one you're actually struggling with. See that, brothers and sisters? So the principle is what? If you want to get rid of the fruit, indefinitely, you must eliminate the root. Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 6. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root. Because they had no root. They withered away. See? So uncovering the sin beneath the sin will help us identify its paternity, brothers and sisters. See? It's the sin beneath the sin. The fruit is only the progeny of the root, brothers and sisters. It's the side effect or the symptom. It's a symptom of something else, brothers and sisters. Right? So, for example, if a brother has a problem with lust, that can manifest itself in watching porn for, uh, uh, you know pornography right it can it can manifest itself in masturbation it can manifest itself in homosexuality it can manifest itself in a plethora of different ways brothers and sisters right so we'll just deal with the masturbation part and then what now but now you're dealing with the fornication right then now you're dealing with homosexuality see there's a root somewhere you're trying to deal with individual sins, which that's okay. That works for a time. But it will come back, brothers and sisters. It will come back because why? The text is teaching us this. Let's go to Isaiah 37. Let's go to the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. Follow us here. Because there's a principle taught in the Bible that will help us in spiritual warfare. Isaiah 37 verse 31. What's that saying, brother? And the remnant that it, that is escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward. Shall do what? They shall take root downward and bear fruit upward. The principle is that the roots have to be established downwards before the fruit can be born upward, brothers and sisters. Do you see? Based on this methodology, brothers and sisters, the evidence of fruit is the implication of a root that remains. Let's read that one more time, please, brother. 31. And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward. They'll take root downward. Then what happens subsequent to that? And bear fruit upward. And do what? Bear fruit upward. If you ask the fruit, excuse me, if you ask the root, the fruit will do what? It will die indefinitely. Brothers and sisters, why? According to Isaiah, the 37th chapter, the 31st verse, the root determines the fruit. The root determines the fruit. Let's read that one more time, and then let's go to Ephesians. Isaiah 37 and 31. And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. See, so natural law teaches us that any production of fruit will always be preceded by the roots. You'll never see fruit out there if the tree is not rooted. Okay, brothers and sisters? So we first established that, that if there is fruit, and you can acknowledge that, you, you see the evidence, then there also must be a root. And now we must identify where the root is found. Okay, so first we showed, or the Bible showed, rather, that the fruit 
tells you about the tree. The fruit also tells you about the root, brothers and sisters. You have what's called fruit sins and root sins. Today, we want to deal with the root sins, brothers and sisters, because the root can show itself in many different fruits. Let's find out where the root is, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Ephesians, the third chapter, the 17th verse. Let's go. Let's find out where the root is, according to the Bible, brothers and sisters. Ephesians 3 and 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Look at that again, brothers and sisters. Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Dwell where, brother? In your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. So look at that. He's saying Christ must dwell in your heart. The root is where? In your heart. It's grounded in your heart, brothers and sisters. So the root or being grounded is in your heart, brothers and sisters. You see this? So now we've identified where's the root. I understand the fruit. I see the fruit. It's lust. And it's lying. It's anger. It's this. It's that. It's that. What is the root? It's something that's in the heart. Remember, Proverbs said what? From the heart, guard your heart at all costs. Because from that heart, that same heart, come the issues of life. So the root is always in the heart, brothers and sisters. Right? And we have to attack the root in order for the fruit to stop produ producing. We're going to talk about this today. Let's go to Proverbs 23 and 7, brothers and sisters. Please listen to Brother Corey's words clearly. Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Look at that, brothers and sisters. According to the author, a man's inward thinking is the true index to his character. See? For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. What's the next part say, brother? Eat and drink, said he to thee. But his heart is not with thee. He said what, brother? Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. He is not the man of his mouth, but of the heart, which is discovered by his actions. You see that? He's telling you eat and drink, but in his heart he's not there. He's not with you. See? So you can say all the... You can say whatever you would like. <laughs> but we don't follow what you're saying. We follow the fruit, right? And only, only a person, you know, only a person can identify the root for themselves. Everyone else can identify the fruit, right? But a brother or sister must identify what the root is within themselves, okay? And guess what? The Holy Spirit will reveal it. The Holy Spirit will reveal it. Can you read that one more time, brother? <clears throat> Verse 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Mm. Eat and drink, saith he to thee. But his heart is not with thee. So it's clear, brothers and sisters, we are not to judge a man's word by his words, but by the course of his life. See, whoever controls your heart controls your life. And see, that's the danger for a man. If you want to control a man, only thing you have to do is control his heart. And see, that's why women are so powerful. That's why. 
because the text is telling you if you control his heart, you control his pocketbook, you control everything. <laughs> you control his emotions. So the heart is targeted. The heart is targeted. The root is always in the heart, brothers and sisters. It's always in the heart. Let us prove. We're going to have Brother Corey read Psalms, the 66th chapter, in the 18th verse, brothers and sisters. Please follow us. Psalms 66 and 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I do what? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The psalmist teaches that iniquity finds residence in the heart, making it what, brothers and sisters? Making it unseen. See, roots are always unseen, brothers and sisters. The fruit is the only evidence of the root. Iniquity, brothers and sisters, is invisible sin. And that is the highest level of sin. <laughs> Go look at what Christ said when, you know, many shall, you know, many shall come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we baptize? Didn't we heal? And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You may want to find out what iniquity is, brothers and sisters. It's invisible sin. It's the sins of your heart. See, that's the key. And David is telling you what, brother? Verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart. The Lord will not hear me. If the iniquity in my heart, brothers and sisters, God will not even listen to my prayers. You see? So the source of life is where? It's the root, not the fruit, brothers and sisters. And the proof of life is in the root. But it's seen where? In the fruit, brothers and sisters. So that's the key. We never see the root. You never... Any of these trees out here, you don't see the root. The root is underground. But how do we know it's a healthy tree? I'm looking at this fruit. I'm tasting this fruit. And I'm like, okay, it's definitely deeply rooted. It's deeply rooted, right? So he's saying you don't need to see the root. If you see the fruit, that lets you know there's a root there. Now I have to go and find out where this root is, take my axe, and strike it down. Strike it down. Because that's the quickest way, brothers and sisters. If you're trying to get rid of an apple tree, I'm not going to go pick every apple off the tree. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay an axe to the root of it. Today, we're doing what? We're sharpening the axe, brothers and sisters. We're uncovering the sin beneath the sin. The sin beneath the sin is iniquity, brothers and sisters. Right? Let's go to Isaiah 59. Iniquity. Many people have never even understood what that is. Right? I know they never taught it to me in Christian church. That, that was never. They, brothers and sisters, they barely say the word sin in Christian church. <laughs> I remember, I never heard the word sin, brothers and sisters, in Christian church. Over the probably the last however many, four or five years I was actually there, which has been well over ten years. But I remember, I, they never even said the word sin. Brothers and sisters, so I know they, they weren't revealing iniquities. Let us see. Isaiah 59 and 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you. Examine the chronology of this passage, brothers and sisters. Verse 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, 
and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Your iniquities have separated. See, in order for there to be a fruit of sin, there must also be a root of that very same sin. What separated us, brother? But your iniquities have, <clears throat> have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you. It's a package deal. <laughs> you cannot have bad fruit without a bad root. We're seeing the fruit, right? The Excuse me. We're seeing the root is in the iniquity. The fruit comes out in the sin, brothers. It's just the actual ones that can be seen. So we're seeing that fruit is the confirmation or is the implication of an unseen root. You see this? First, it starts with the iniquity. The iniquity distances you and God. The sin that comes subsequent to the iniquity, he doesn't even look at you, brothers and sisters. And when you look at the the hermeneutics, brothers and sisters, in the Bible, when you see God's face or it talks about God's shining face, that's synonymous or it's analogous with what? The favor. So you'll see all throughout the manuscript where it talks about God's shining face. He, his face is shining on you. That references his favor. So the text is telling you here, what is it saying, brother? Verse 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. It was your iniquities, right? And your sins have hid his face from you, but he will not hear. See? So it's clear, brothers and sisters, fruit is the confirmation or is the implication of an unseen root. So don't be too preoccupied with the fruit that you neglect to consider the root. See, brothers and sisters? The root is iniquity because that's the one that's in your heart. The other sins, you know, iniquity is the root, brothers and sisters. And it comes out in the physical sins that you, that you can see. But the root is iniquity. Now, which iniquity is it? That's what we have to find now. Let's go to Jeremiah 5 and 25. Please follow us, brothers and sisters. Jeremiah 5 and 25. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholding good things from you. I really hope you're examining the chronology, the structure of the text. According to the author, iniquity is the forerunner of the actual perpetration of the sin, brothers and sisters. Listen to that one more time. Verse 25. Your iniquities have turned away these things. The iniquities have taken the good things from you. And your sins have withholding good things from you. The sins make sure it doesn't come back. You see? So that one root provides the necessary nourishment to produce a multitude of different fruit sins. It's that one root, brothers and sisters. Where David said in, in Psalm 66 that... If I regard iniquity in my heart, God won't even hear me. So it starts with the iniquity first, brothers and sisters, and it leads to the sin. Can you read that one more time, brother? Jeremiah 5 and 25. Your iniquities have turned away these things. That's taking it away from you. And your sins have withholding good things from you. Making sure you don't get it back. So we're seeing that harboring the root of iniquity would be a severe, severe miscalculation resulting in a suspension of good fortune. Godly fortune, brothers and sisters. So we have to deal with the iniquity. We first use the Bible to say what? This is, you know a man by his fruits. 
Is that the only thing we know by fruits? No, we also know that there's a root anywhere that there's fruit. And the Bible tells you that Christ is going to strike down bad fruit, you know, bad fruit trees by the root. So that taught us something. He didn't say he was going to cut the branches off. He didn't say he was going to cut the fruit off. He said, I'm going straight to the root. He who has an axe and does not wet the edge will have to use more strength. So while you're swinging to try to get each individual fruit, you can find out what the root is and exterminate the root and all the fruits will die, brothers and sisters, all of them. Let's take a look. Let's take a look at Proverbs 5 and 22. Follow us here, please. Let's see the chronology again about the iniquities and then what comes subsequent to that. Proverbs 5 and 22. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holding with the cords of his sins. Brothers and sisters, the author presents iniquity and sin with a what? With a theme of bondage. Do you see that? Verse 22. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. What shall he be held with? The cords of his sins. According to the text, as long as there are root, the, the fruit remains in bondage. You see that? The, the root is what? The iniquity. <laughs> and then you see the fruit. So the, the cords of the sins are tied to what? The iniquity. The root, brothers and sisters. So the author teaches us that the security of the fruit is found in the root. Take a look. Verse 22. His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, mm. and he shall be holding with the cords of his sins. He shall be holding with the cords of his sins. Brothers and sisters, the roots anchor the tree, while simultaneously providing continual nourishment for the fruit, right? What's the next scripture saying, brother? Verse 23. He shall die without instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Now look at that, brothers and sisters. It all starts there. Now we're seeing death, spiritual death, right? Physical death. We're seeing a person going off the path, back with that, what Christians call backsliding, going off astray. So what do we see? We see that we should probably, don't worry about the fruit you have to ask. The root is where we want to get to. Why? Because the sin requires iniquity to survive. It needs that. So all the sins that I perpetrate, that we perpetrate, it's tied to an iniquity, brothers and sisters. It's tied to a, a root. And the, the Messiah understood this principle of root before fruit. He understood that root before fruit. The root can't be seen. It's underground, brothers and sisters. Iniquity can't be seen. It's underground. None of us can see your iniquity, brothers and sisters. The only person who knows your iniquity is you and God. The iniquity is where? It's in the heart. It's in the heart, brothers and sisters. Let us see. Let us prove that the Messiah understood this principle of root before fruit. We're going to go to Mark 7 and 21 to prove that the Messiah understood this. He understood Mark 7 and 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, 
precede evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. From where, brother? From within and defile the man. Brothers and sisters, I need you to examine the progression. Examine the procession. Right? The passage teaches us that sin stems from where? Within. Let's read 21 one more time, please, brother. Verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, mm -hmm. adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. Where do they come from, brother? They come from within and defile the man. See, so if you closely examine the text, you'll see that Christ articulates the progressive technique with precision. It comes from within. What comes from within? Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts. You see that, brothers and sisters? It starts from within. We know that what? What's within? Iniquity, the root, the root of iniquity, brothers and sisters. That's where it is. Christ understood that principle is always root before fruit. Root before fruit. So we discovered that the iniquity is the root, but there's different sources, brothers and sisters. All iniquity is not the same, right? So it's iniquity, but it's broken down. In order for me to know which root it is that's bringing forth this fruit, let us show you something. Let us show you what, in Ephesians, brothers and sisters. According to the author, there are three primary enemies of our souls, and we're going to go into that today. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein times past you walked according to the course of this world. According to what? The course of this world. Enemy number one, brothers and sisters, is the love of the world. According to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. Enemy number two. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh. In the what? In the lust of our flesh. The lust of the flesh, brothers and sisters. The lust of the flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Do, doing what, brother? Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Our outer enemy, according to the Bible, is what? The world. The supernatural enemy is who? Satan. And our inner foe is our flesh. These are the three enemies of the soul, brothers and sisters. And the iniquities are one of these three more times than not. It's one of these three, brothers and sisters. Let's read those two, those three scriptures again. Because according to the Bible, there are three enemies of our soul. And all iniquities find that they, they come underneath of that umbrella, brothers and sisters. Verse 1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world. Walked according to the course of this world. Let's deal with that. Let's deal with the world. The love of the world, brothers and sisters. Which is one of the enemies. 
of a believer. It's one of the enemies of making it into the kingdom. It's one of the enemies of God. Let's take a look. Let's go to 1 John 2 and 15. Follow us here, brothers and sisters. 1 John chapter 2, the 15th verse through the 17th verse. 1 John 2 and 15. Love not the world. What did he say? Love not the world. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Mm, you see that, brothers and sisters? You see that? So here it was. Even the Most High knew. John understood that this enemy here, love the love of the world, your ambition, what you want to be, what you wanted to do, your aspirations, right? You see that? That is an iniquity. That is one of the iniquities. That is one of the three. One of the more powerful of the three, brothers and sisters. Can you read that one more time? Verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But that, but that doeth the will of God, or he that doeth the will of God abides forever. Brothers and sisters, these verses, right, contain one main commandment in what? Three incentives. Let's see the first incentive. Let's go back to 15. Verse 15. One command, three incentives. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now look at that. Examine the first incentive John provides. No love of God. See, that's the first incentive. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away and the lust thereof. Look at that. The second incentive is if you love the world, you will perish with the world. Brothers and sisters. So we really need you to see this because John asked you to evaluate your spiritual lives by this test of love, highlighting that there's a love that God hates, brothers and sisters. There is a love that God hates. We're reading it right here. Can you read 16, brother? Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away. Se second incentive. And the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abides forever. The third incentive. So he gave you one command, brothers and sisters, and he's saying, let me incentivize you. <laughs> let me show you. Right? This is all that comes with the world. And if you neglect the world, if you neglect it, this is what comes with it. So John tells us that worldliness is the enemy, brothers and sisters. He also tells us that worldliness and the Most High God are mutually exclusive. There is no harmony, brothers and sisters. There's no harmony. Can you read 17, brother? Verse 17. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, 
But he that doeth the will of God abides forever. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We need to do the will of God and not just believe in God, brothers and sisters. By doing so, we can overcome the pools of this world. He that doeth the will of the Most High God abideth forever. So here we see, if you love God, you cannot set your heart on what is not of God, brothers and sisters. There's no way to violate this principle and survive. If you love this world, you love, you know, how they've made the, the you know, made homosexuality uh, popular, right? You love all this, how drugs are legal now, how actually um, uh, prostitution is decriminalized, all this stuff. You love this stuff. You love the trans community and, you know, all this stuff. See, because that's what the world is, brothers and sisters, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's all in the world, brothers and sisters. The world is your enemy. And many of us, that is the source of our behavior. It's the source. It's the root that I love the world. I love the world. And because of that, this is a fruit. This is a fruit. This is a fruit. This is a fruit. That's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm doing that. I'm trying to fit in. This is what the world says is right. Let me get a vaccine. See this, brothers and sisters? See, this is the iniquity right here. You cannot love God if you love the world. This is serious business, brothers and sisters. This is serious business. Let us show you. Let's go to Romans 12 and 2. This is one of the main iniquities, brothers and sisters. This is the main fruit. One of the main fruits that lead to a myriad of sins. One of the main roots, excuse me, that lead to a myriad of sins or fruits. Romans 12, <clears throat> verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. What did he say, brother? Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, let's break that down, brothers and sisters. Let's break that down. Let's deal with the first part first. Verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. Boom. The evidence of your love affair with the world is found in your conformity. You see that, brothers and sisters? Conformity is the fruit. The love of the world is the root. See? The root is I love the world. The fruit is I've conformed to it. Now the things I know are against God, I'm supporting. See that? I'm supporting that now. Because why? I love the world. I'm changing with the world. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. According to the author, where is the root found? But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. See? It's in your mind or your heart, brothers and sisters. See that? That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here the author laments the contrast of what is considered acceptable to the Most High God in conformity with the world. You see that, brothers and sisters? So the root is, I'm in love with the world. I love what the world has to offer more so than what God in the Bible has to offer. So your love for the world is detrimental. To your concept of what good is. That's why I said you have to prove what's good. And acceptable. And perfect will of God. Because if you love the world. You don't know God. 
You don't know his will. You don't know what's acceptable. You don't. You see this, brothers and sisters? The love of the world. Enemy number one. The love of this world. The aspirations. I want to I wanna be famous. I want to do this. I want to do that. When you want to do something so bad that you're willing to compromise what you believe, it becomes an idol. Right? Because I want to, you know, play on this team or, or whatever the case is. Because I want to make a TV show. I'm going to accept homosexuality. I'm going to accept vaccine. I'm I'm going to support transgenders. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Why? See, he said, don't conform to this world. Because if you love it, you conform. You conform if you love it. The only way to not conform is to what, brother? How do you? How are you transformed? And be not tra- be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to be transformed. Renewing your mind, brothers and sisters. Why? The root. <laughs> the root is in the mind. It's in the heart. The heart and the mind are the same in the, in, the, in the text, brothers and sisters. You see that? So even Paul knew where the root is. See, brothers and sisters? The root is in your mind. It's in your heart that you love the world. And therefore, the fruit of your love for the world is your conformity to that same world. That's crystal clear, brothers and sisters. Further proof. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13 and 11. See? So that iniquity, that that root, is what? Love for the world. Love for what the world has to offer. Thinking that you're missing out. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 11. What's that say, brother? When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But what happened? But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Did you make, Did you catch that? Because according to the author, according to Paul, this text illustrates that you can grow outwardly and not inwardly. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Can you read that one more time? Verse 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. When I became a man, what? I put away childish things. Growth is proven by what you're willing to give up to to go to the next dimension. See, this is what men know. This is what actual real men know. I had to step away from that. I had to put that aside so I could be who God created me to be so I could be a father to my children so I could be a good husband to my wife I had to put it away those those youthful lusts when he says I put away childish things those lusts from your youth see so my understanding he says my understanding is childish but my body is adult is full grown you see what he's saying here brothers and sisters can you read that again verse 11 when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So, so he's telling you that even into manhood, you can still have childish things. He said, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Not when I put away childish things, I became a man. So he's saying I had childish systems. I had childish belief systems. 
as a grown man, I had to put those things away. So what is he highlighting? He's highlighting the immature inner life. Brothers and sisters, you think like a child, you speak like a child, you understand. Those are the three core. See, that's the core in renewing your mind. How you speak, how you understand, and how you think, brothers and sisters. Those, that's the triangle right there, brothers and sisters. That's the triangle. So God is trying to give us an inheritance that we cannot inherit as long as we are a child. Why? Because according to the text, you're holding on to the logic of a child. Paul was pulling this out here, brothers and sisters. Those, those are the three. That's the triangle. How I speak, how I understand, which is my logic, how I formulate an opinion, and what? How I speak, how I understand, and how I think. That makes up a man right there, or woman, brothers and sisters. We just wanted to show you that he's saying, listen, I was a grown man, but I had childish things that needed to be put away. So I can still be a grown man, but carrying on to those childish things that I've had since my youth. Pornography, masturbation, lust, drug abuse, drug use, right? All these things. He said, I had to put that away. I had to put that away. See, so when he says, I put away childish things, that means he knows where they're at. He didn't lose it. He made a conscious effort to step away from it, brothers and sisters. And that's what it takes. Let us show you that as long as you're a child, you can't receive God's inheritance, right? You cannot be an heir to the throne. Let's go to Galatians. Let's go to Galatians. You're still a baby. In love with the world. All these aspirations and who you can be and, you know, be on TV and all this stuff that people are thinking. It's like, you got to grow up, man. You're not 10 anymore. You're not 10. You're, you're a grown adult. You're a grown man. You're a grown woman. But you're still operating like a spoiled brat. Right? As a person who's trying to chase a dream. Let's read verse 1 through 4, brother. Excuse me, 1 through 3. <clears throat> Galatians 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differed nothing from a servant. Look at that. As long as he is a child. So that means until he arrives at the age, he differs nothing from what? He differed nothing from a servant. See? Though he be Lord of all. Look at that. He is not his own man, nor at his own disposal. He cannot do as he pleases. He's under restraint. You see that as long as he's a child. See? He's not in control. See? Your imprisonment under the law of your heart, led by your emotions. <laughs> See? You're not in charge. You're being led by your emotions. You're being led by your feelings and what you want. This is what I want. This is how I feel. That's the soul speaking there. See? You're being run loose by your soul. You're not in control. Can you read those two again, brother? Verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differed nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Of who? Of the father. This must be thoroughly exterminated, brothers and sisters. The father is going to tell you when you're ready. You don't tell the father what you're ready for. He tells you. 
the time appointed is by the Father, right? Verse 3. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Under the what, brother? The elements of the world. So, I really need y'all to take a look at that, brothers and sisters. I really need you to take a look at that as a whole. We're going to read those three one more time so you can get this, brothers and sisters. Verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differed nothing from a servant. So the net effect of immaturity is what? Loss of control. <laughs> See, this is what the author is telling us. His position as the heir didn't entitle him to true freedom until he reached the agreed upon age. Let's see. Verse 2. But is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Appointed of who? Of the father. Until he arrive at the legal age, he is the master or she is the master of nothing. Verse, verse 3. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. That's the way of a child, brothers and sisters. These three verses tell us that tell us that what as long as until they come of age until you come of age you will be put under people you should be over. So he's going to make sure you stay under those people because why you're still a child you're still emotional you're still led by your feelings that's what children do brothers and sisters that's what children do they can only make a decision they agree with they can only make a decision that they feel like. I don't feel like it. Guess what, brothers and sisters? Becoming grown, as Paul is saying, is to go against your flesh. It's to do against what you design, your flesh is desiring. It's to not feel like doing something, yet do it anyway. See? That's coming to age. Now you become an heir. But as long as you're being led by your emotions, as long as you're being led by your heart, as long as you're being led by the world in bondage under the elements of the world. Bondage. Differeth nothing from a slave or a servant. Let's go to Galatians 6, brethren. Same book. Let's go to Galatians 6 and 14. Please follow us, brothers and sisters. Galatians <clears throat> 6 and 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Paul is saying that the world is dead to him, brothers and sisters, and he is dead to the world. Listen to him again. 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Christ. The only glory I have is in the cross. By whom the world is crucified unto me. I crucified or killed the world. And I unto the world. And likewise, I'm crucified to the world. So he's saying that he's no longer directed by the ways of the world, brothers and sisters. You see? What we notice is that to crucify the world, you need to crucify the things of the world. See, that's the key. That's the key, brothers and sisters. What's the next scripture say, brother? Verse 15. For in Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. A new creature, brothers and sisters. A person cannot pursue his 
self-centered worldly ambitions and remain loyal to God cannot do it you have to choose one or the other if you continue to pursue those things at some point you're going to have to compromise brothers and sisters you're going to have to compromise why? because you have these ambitions of who you want to be the most I said you're still dreaming you're still dreaming it's time to wake up remember what did Paul say? It's high time to wake out of sleep. You haven't been conscious. You've been alive, but not conscious. You're not conscious to what's going on. You're not conscious to the time. You're not conscious. That day is over, brothers and sisters. It's time to wake up. It's to operate soberly in the day. This is what the Bible tells us. He said that, what did he say in 14, brother? Verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me. The world is crucified unto me. And I unto the world. See that? So we have to crucify the world and the things of the world, brothers and sisters, in order to make this. Because the iniquity, the root, is the love of the world. And that root leads to a lot of different fruit, brothers and sisters, on compromising. And that's the main one. It's compromising, brothers and sisters. That's what Romans 12 told us. To not conform to the world. When you love the world, you conform to it. So don't, don't try to tell us that you, you love the world, but you're not conforming to it. Okay? Marijuana, brothers and sisters, just because it's legal don't make it right. Okay? But this is what they do. So now parents can't even tell their children because when I grew up, my family said, this is breaking the law, right? It's breaking the law. Now you can't even say that. Now you can't even say that. Why? And, and now what are we supposed to do? Change with the world? So we'll allow our children to do this? Homosexuality 10 years ago was illegal. Now that has changed, right? Should we change with that? Should we conform to that? Right? Vaccines, brothers, should I now conform to that? Because that's the way of the world. See that? You're flipping all over the place. You're being tossed all over the place. Whimsical. Why? Because your love for the world. Your love for the world is leading you. It's guiding you. You cannot. You cannot overcome. Let's go to James 4 and 3, brother. James, the fourth chapter, the third verse. Please follow us, brothers and sisters, please. James 4 and 3. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Upon your, your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Mm. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Woo. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, what are the consequences for yielding to the world? Let's read that again. Verse 4. Verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Hostility with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Boom. See that? The author teaches us that our 
refusal to separate or sanctify ourselves has relational implications. You see, this is not a game, brothers and sisters, okay? God takes the love of the world very seriously. Let's read those two scriptures one more time, please. James 4 and 3. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. The author laments the relationship between the fruit and the root. Friendship with the world, love for the world is the root. Enemy of, enemy of God is the fruit that come with that. It's one of the fruits that come with that, brothers and sisters. An enemy of God. But notice he says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. <laughs> so what is he saying? He's saying, you're having, a friend, you're having friendship with the enemy. Listen, brothers will tell you this, okay? <laughs> if you've got a wife, one thing your wife don't do, even if y'all not together or y'all mad, you don't go become friends with his enemy, right? You don't do him like that. The Bible is telling you, you're an adulteress. You're an adulterer. Why? Because you're in love with my enemy. You're in love with the enemy. Whoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world. See, now he, he dialed it back. He didn't even say love the world. He said, if you start hanging around the world or wanting to be in the world, you're an enemy. It's plain and simple. It doesn't get any clearer than that, brothers and sisters doesn't get any clearer than that. So we're showing you that the iniquity, one of the iniquities that have led to all the fruits in your life, the love of money amongst all the other things, right? Is what? The love of the world. That was the root. The fruit is what came after that. The fruit is all the compromises that you've done because you're trying to get somewhere. You're trying to make money. All the compromise. Let's go to Titus 2 and 11, brothers and sisters. Take a look at Titus. Titus 2 and 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly. Right? Brothers and sisters, Take a look at that again. Can you read verse 11, brother? Because verse 11 has shown that salvation has been brought to all men. Verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. To who, brother? To all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now look at that. In this what, brother? In this present world, Titus provides us with the proper instructional usage of grace. Brothers and sisters, anyone who thinks God's grace is unconnected with good works is deceived. We're going to read that one more time, please. Verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Okay, I have grace. So what do I do with my grace? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So that's clear, brothers and sisters. God's grace teaches us to avoid unrestrained behaviors of sin. See? 
Any grace that means abandoning the standards of God is illegitimate. It's illegitimate. Authentic grace is not the minimizing of rules or standards, brothers and sisters. And here it is. We see the root in verse 11. The fruit is in verse 12. Let's read it one more time. Verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That's the root, right? I have, I'm, excuse me, brother. I'm rooted in the grace of God. Verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. See that? That's the fruit. Denying ungodliness, worldly lust. We, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. A good tree bring forth good fruit. A good root bring forth good fruit. Being grounded in the grace of God. The fruit that comes from it is verse 12. Can you read that again? Verse 12. Teaching us that <clears throat> denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world see so when you see those behaviors when you see that we know that there's a root what is the root the root is christ and the heart see brothers and sisters so this thing works both ways as long as there's fruit and there there is always fruit there's no shortage of fruit brothers and sisters it's either good fruit or it's bad fruit but there is no shortage and what do we know if we see fruit we must also know there is root Brothers and sisters, let's go to Second Timothy four, because we're still dealing with the love of the world, which is the root, and we're going to show you the fruit that comes with this. Second Timothy four and ten. Second Timothy four, verse ten. For demise hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Only who? Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Now this is Paul while he's locked down, brothers and sisters. This is why he's locked down. And he says, he's speaking of a brother, Demas, right? Which you can read of him a few times in the scripture who was actually a brother of Paul, actually did the work with Paul. But while Paul was in prison, the brother did what? Let's read 10 one more time. Verse 10. For Damas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Why did he forsake? Having loved this present world. You see that? <laughs> Look at it. First, the first thing in the text is what? The fruit. The very next thing is what? The root. Let's read that again, brother. Verse 10. For the mass hath forsaken me. Fruit. Having loved this present world. Root. And is departed unto Thessalonica. You see that, brothers and sisters? This is the danger we face when we allow the world to become too important to us. You see? So it showed you the fruit. And then he highlighted the root. <laughs> see, Paul understood this. He said, you know what? This is the fruit. You know a man by his fruit. Why? Because the fruit tells me there's a root somewhere. He didn't forsake me for no reason. You see, brothers and sisters, where there is no root, there can be no fruit. Anywhere there is fruit, there must be a root, brothers and sisters. And the Bible tells you, Ecclesiastes, that listen, sharpen your axe. Sharpen your axe. If you have six minutes to chop down a tree, use four of those minutes to sharpen the axe. It takes less strength. 
I have to swing the axe less times. This is what the Bible is telling us. He's saying, operate utilizing the principles in, in the literature, in the manuscript, and you will live a great life, a much easier life. As long as you walk around in the dark, then what? You'll live a life of a transgressor. It tells you that in the Bible, the life of a trans, uh, transgressor is hard. That means there's resistance and obstacles every place you go. Every place you go. So we wanted to show you, brothers and sisters, what transpires when you love this present world. This was a believer. This was a brother who walked with Paul. He walked with the author of the Bible. And that love for the world was so strong, he forsake the author of the Bible. You see that, brothers and sisters? The author of the Bible. Let's go to Philippians, brothers and sisters. Let's deal with that. Because we're just showing you the love of the world is the root. It is the root, brothers and sisters. Philippians 3 and 17 through 19. Philippians 3 and 17. What's that said, brother? Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping. Even what? Even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Oh, brothers and sisters, examine his compassion for the sheep whom have wandered away. See, this is a true believer here, brothers and sisters. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping. He said, I'm telling you this weeping. Why? That they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. See that? So those unwilling to crucify their own passions and desires will be counted among those who are the enemies of the cross. The cross. You see that, brothers and sisters? And Paul, he wasn't trying to excoriate them. He wasn't trying to castigate them. He was lamenting, brothers and sisters. He was weeping. He was sad. Why? Because they're like sheep with no shepherd. It's sad when you see somebody wander off, right? Fall back into the world. It's It really is sad. I'm not even angry. I'm not angry. It's sad. Why? Let's read it one more time. 17. Brethren, be followers together of me. And mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. Why is their end destruction? Whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. You see that, brothers and sisters? Paul is referring to those whose... Supreme happiness lies in gratifying their sensual appetites. Look at the fruit and then look at the root. Let's read verse 19 again. Verse 19. Whose end is destruction. See, that's the root. That's the fruit right there. Whose God is their belly. See that? That's the root right there. Your end is destruction. Why? Because <laughs> your God is your belly. So anytime we make our physical desires our primary focus... 
we make an idol out of them. See that, brothers and sisters? Here we read the most common form of idolatry in this present day is what, brother? Whose end is destruction and whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame and mind earthly things. They mind earthly things. See, that's the love of the world, brothers and sisters. That is the love of the world. I'm minding earthly things. My God is my belly. And that doesn't mean what I'm eating, brothers and sisters. That means your appetite. Whether it's sexual appetites or whatever type of appetites you're dealing with, brothers and sisters. Lust, gluttony, whatever it is. So we're showing you how dangerous that particular form of iniquity is. The love of the, the, love of the world. Because so many fruits come from that, brothers and sisters. In fact, let us go to Romans 8 and 6. Let's go to Romans here. Let's see what Paul has to say in Romans 8. Romans 8 and 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? This is the fruit of the carnal mind's pers persistency when it comes to disobedience, when it comes to, you know, a disobedient attitude. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death. To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. But to be what, brother? Spiritually minded is life and peace. What is it, brother? Life and peace. Mentality determines destination. Brothers and sisters, Paul is telling us this. Carnally minded, death. Spiritually minded, peace. See? Verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Paul describes this power struggle, brothers and sisters, flawlessly. This is the power struggle. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. See, so they're the opposite in their nature. They can never harmonize, according to Paul, according to the Bible. Brothers and sisters, the sin within us is always seeking to pull us again into defilement. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, mm. neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. What did that say? So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. They will not? Cannot please God. So brothers and sisters, those driven by the flesh are incapable of submitting to the Most High. It's not possible. See, so what we decide demonstrates what we hold in the higher regard, brothers and sisters. What we decide demonstrates what we hold in the highest regard, brothers and sisters. Are you carnal? Are you mentally carnal? Are you carnally minded? Are you spiritually minded? See that, brothers and sisters? This is what he's showing us. Because why? We're going into the flesh. Now we're going into the flesh. That was the other enemy. Remember that, brothers and sisters? It started with the world. And now we're at the flesh. 
That's the other enemy. That's the other iniquity. The root, the roots that we have spoken of already is what? The love of the world. That was the first root, right? And now we're doing what? Dealing with the flesh. The other root. Because the flesh leads to, let us show you. Let's read, let's read 6 through 8 again, brother, please. Romans 8 and 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now you see why those three enemies, what were the three enemies in Ephesians, the, cha the second chapter? The world, the flesh, and the devil, brothers and sisters. Those are the three. Those are the three, brothers and sisters. Those are the three. We just wanted to show you that, brothers and sisters. We just wanted to show you that. Brothers and sisters, follow us to Galatians, the fifth chapter, the 16th through the 21st verse. Remember, we showed that what? The number one enemy to the soul is the love of the world. That's the root, right? Now we've moved to what? The lust of the flesh. That's a root. We have root sins and fruit sins. These are the roots, brothers and sisters. These roots lead to a multiplicity of fruits. These are the three iniquities. Let's look at verse 16. Galatians 5 and 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit. Do what? Walk in the spirit. Walking indicates progression, advancement, right? And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What did that say? And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He's telling you clearly. That's a key right there. Can, let's read that one more time. Verse 16. This I say then. Walk in the spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit and what? Ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we stop progressing, we are going to be overcome once again. You see that? that that's crystal clear. That's crystal clear, brothers and sisters. Continual growth is the only way to overcome our strong appetites. It's the only way. He said, walk in the spirit. Why? Because if you do that, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The only way not to fulfill the lust of the flesh is that you're moving. You're moving. If you're idle, you're going down. Verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. That, look at that, brothers and sisters. There, uh, can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. They are opposite in their nature, brothers and sisters. They can never harmonize, right? And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot... The, cannot do the things that you would see verse 18 but if ye be led of the spirit ye are not under the law now the works of the flesh are manifest oh here we go so right away let's break it down brothers and sisters if you walk in the spirit and do good works you can hold off the desire to sin right now he's talked about first he, he talked about the root the root was what the flesh Right. 
The root is love of the flesh. Now he's going into the fruit. Take a look at verse 19. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. They're what? Are manifest. They're seen. So it's telling you fruit can always be seen. The root cannot be seen. So what was the root? Let's go back up. Let's go back to 16. What's the root? Verse 16. This I say then. Walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. That's it. The lust of the flesh is the root. Now let's look at the fruits that come from it. Let's jump down to verse 19, brothers and sisters. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Brothers and sisters. Here he just, he did what? He identified the fruits, right? That which is manifested is that which is seen. He said, the works of the flesh are manifested. This is what you see, right? So the root is what? The flesh, lust of the flesh. The fruit is, let's read those, those again. Let's read verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery. Fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Look at those brothers and sisters. He, this is the clearest. This is going to be the clearest uh, scriptures in the Bible in regards to root and fruit. Let, read 19 one more time, brother, because in this particular text, we find root and fruit. Now, the works of the flesh root. Are, are manifest. See, the root, the works of the flesh is the root. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Look at that, brothers and sisters. We saw the root was what? The works of the flesh. The fruit is everything here, brothers and sisters. Everything here, we're seeing that. You see? So he's telling you, listen, it starts... At the root. It starts at the root. If you don't get the root. Because look at this list here. We see adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry. So you here it is. You're, you want to stop doing each one of these. Okay, I'm going to stop adultery this month. Okay, next year I'm going to stop the fornication. Okay, next year I'm going to stop the hatred. Okay, next year I'm going to stop the variance. You see how that is? You see how tiresome that is? How long that takes, brothers and sisters? When he's like, no, axe the root. What's the root? The flesh. If you axe the root of the flesh, then you'll already take care of adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, emulations, wrath, strife. See, all of that. All that's taken care of under one umbrella. If we can hit it where it hurts at the root, if I can take up that root, if I can get that iniquity, 
all the rest of this will fall. You see that, brothers and sisters? This is what Ecclesiastes was telling us about, sharpening the sword. If you sharpen your sword, you have to do less work. Excuse me, if you sharpen your axe, you have to do less work. If you don't sharpen your axe, what could have took you five minutes is now going to take you five years cutting down the street. We just wanted to show that, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Romans 7, because right now we're dealing with what? We're dealing with the flesh. We saw that there's three enemies of the soul. Number one, love of the world. Number two, lust of the flesh. Number three, Satan himself. Let's go to Romans, brothers and sisters. Romans 7 and 18. We're going to read 18 through 23. Romans 7 and 18. What's that saying, brother? For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Brothers and sisters, here, this is Paul. What did Paul say about his flesh? For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Look at that. Paul noticed that nothing good dwells in our flesh. See? For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. So according to what we're reading, Paul was growing and increasing awareness of his sin. See, he was learning himself. He was discovering himself here, brothers and sisters, right? He said, in me, there's no good thing. For to will is present with me. I, I'm willing to do it, but I, you know, I don't have the strength to do it. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is what he's telling us. Right. Verse 19. For the good that I would do, I do not. But the evil which I would, that I do. Look at this, brothers and sisters. The good... Can you read that one more time? Verse 19. For the good that I would, I do not. For the good things that I want to do, I don't do it. But the evil which I would not, that I do. The evil which I know is evil, that's what I keep doing. Right? So Paul tells us, he says that, listen, the influence of sin is terribly difficult to overcome, right? Look at verse 20. Verse 20. Now, if I do that what I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Look at that. He's saying, if I'm doing things I don't really want to do, that's not me. It's the sin within me. You see that, brothers and sisters? It's the root within me that's doing this, right? Verse 21. I find then a new law. Listen, or, to, listen to this law, Slocky, brother. I find then a law that when I wouldn't do good, evil is present with me. Even when doing good, evil is present, brothers and sisters. You see that? Verse 22. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Look at that. He said, I know the law is good. My spirit knows that law is good. My inner man, my spirit. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind mm. and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Look at that, my flesh. This law is in my flesh. So Paul is conscious of a war going on within himself. Brothers and sisters, his mind, which served God, wars against his flesh, which served sin. Take a look at that one more time, please. 
Verse 23. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Which is where? In my members. See? So he highlights that our carnal body wars against the indwelling spirit, brothers and sisters. See that? So now what are we dealing with? The lust of the flesh, the root of the lust of the flesh. If you get it at its root, then the fruit will die, brothers and sisters. But as long as there's root, there will always be fruit, good or bad. Good or bad, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson, Sharpening the Axe. Uncovering the sin beneath the sin. Let's go to 2 Ezra 7 and 57. Second Ezra, the seventh chapter, the fifty-seventh verse. Let's take a look at this. Second Ezra seven and fifty-seven. Then answered he me and said, "This is the condition of the battle which man that is born upon the earth shall fight. That if he be overcome, he shall suffer as thou hast said. But if he get the victory." He shall receive the thing that I say. Look at this, brothers and sisters. What we just read of with Paul, Romans the seventh chapter, very, very, very deep chapter. Paul was an extremely honest man. It don't get any more honest than chapter seven of Romans, brothers and sisters. Right? That is the inner battle. That's what I like to call the inner battle chapter. Ezra is telling us that what? What he discussed in Romans, the seventh chapter, this is the battle. This is the battle. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 57. Then answered he me and said, This is the condition of the battle, which man that is born upon the earth shall fight. Any man born upon the earth will have to fight. That if he be overcome, he shall suffer as thou hast said. And if you get overcome, you're going to suffer, young man. But if he get the victory, he shall receive the thing that I say. For this is the life whereof Moses spake unto the people while he lived, saying, Choose thee life that thou mayest live. Remember that, brothers and sisters, in the Torah, right? Choose this way of life or choose this way of death, right? So he's telling you there's a battle that all men, right? Any man that wants to follow God will fight. Because other people who are not trying to do the right thing, they're actually not fighting. They're going along with it. They're holding, they're fighting, you know, they're holding Satan's hand walking down the hill. The rest of us trying to do what's right, like Paul, he's actually trying to fight his flesh. Some people don't try to fight their flesh at all, brothers and sisters. Undisciplined, ungoverned, just loose, just loose. Brothers and sisters, you will lose that way. You will not find life. You will find death, brothers and sisters. And what are we talking about? We're talking about the root that is the lust of the flesh. And all the things that come from that root, brothers and sisters. Let us show you. Let's go to Galatians 5 and 24. We're almost done here, brothers and sisters. Let's, we have to be thorough here. Galatians 5 and 24. We're still dealing with the, the root of iniquity that is called what? The lust of the flesh. <clears throat> Galatians 5 and 24. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. What have they done, brother? Have crucified the flesh 
with the affections and lusts. The author here highlights the root and its relationship to the fruit. What's the root? Let's read it one more time, brother. Verse 24. And they that are Christ. The fruit. The root is what? I have Christ rooted in me. What's the fruit, brother? They have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. See that? A good tree bringeth forth good fruit. A bad tree bringeth forth bad fruit. Those who are rooted in Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. So Paul shows that the believer has the potential to conquer sin by what? His position in Christ. Let's read that again, brother, please. Verse 24. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Mm, so look at it closely. Your identification is authenticated by what you do, not what you say. He said, those who are Christ are known by the crucifixion of the flesh, <laughs> the, the affections and the lust. If you haven't crucified that, if you don't have that fruit there, then you're not rooted in Christ. You're not. You can say hallelujah, whatever you know. people are saying out there. He's like, well, no. The fruit that I'm looking for is the crucifixion of your lust, your affections. That points to what? A good tree. That points to a good root. Good root, good fruit. Right? Bad root, bad fruit. Verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So we just wanted to show that in Galatians, the fifth chapter, the identifying mark of the people is having crucified the flesh. So your identity in Christ is directly tied to your ability to carry a crucifix to your desires. That's uh, that including me, brothers and sisters. We're showing you how the root in the fruit works. See, you have some fruit currently. We all have fruit currently. What is it? What are other people seeing? What are the fruit that other people are seeing? If you, brothers and sisters, if you have the courage, I would ask. I would ask, ask people what they're seeing in you, good and bad, if you really have that courage, if you really want to know, brothers and sisters, if you really want to know, most of us don't really want to know though, okay, most of us really don't want to know, brothers and sisters, we're going to go to Romans 8 and 13, why, because we're still showing the lust of the flesh as the root as the root, okay, brothers and sisters? Romans 8 and 13, brothers and sisters. We first dealt with what? The, 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 the love of the world, right? And how God, how strongly the Most High God felt about it. Now we're dealing with what? What root are we dealing with now? What iniquity are we dealing with now? The lust of the flesh. And the fruit that comes from it. Romans 8 and 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body. What happens? Ye shall live. What happens? Ye shall live. According to the text, if you're rooted in the flesh, death soon follows as the fruit. Let's read that one more time. 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Say that. Killing off our sins is possible only through the power of God's Spirit. The law in itself is not effective in this regard. Let's re let, let us see. 
For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, how do you how do you mortify the deeds of the body? Through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. The law can't do that for you, brothers and sisters. You see that? According to the Apostle Paul, you have to die in order to live. You see that, brothers and sisters? The reality is if we succumb to the standards of the flesh, we will die. What's the next part say, brother? Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You see that, brothers and sisters? Be careful what you pursue. Because what you pursue becomes your God. All right, brothers and sisters. Whatever you pursue becomes your God. So be very, very careful what you allow to lead you. What you allow to, you know, to stimulate you into a pursuit. It's clear, brothers and sisters. These are the things. There's these three things, brothers and sisters. These three roots. These are the three enemies of a man of God or a woman of God, right? Let's go to 2 Corinthians 7 and 1. We're still talking about the flesh here, brothers and sisters. 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, the first verse. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. What's that say, brother? Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. From all what, brother? From all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Look at that, brothers and sisters. According to the apostle, there are two types of filthiness. We're going to have Brother Corey identify those. Verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness and the fear of God. Brothers and sisters, there's those two cleansings that need to take place. Those two separate filthinesses. One of the flesh and one of the spirit. And what I discovered is that most people who don't struggle with the filthiness of the flesh struggle with the filthiness of the spirit. Almost every time, brothers and sisters. Almost every time. So, I need you to examine the chronological structure of the text. Let's read that one more time, please. Verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You must cleanse yourself of all filthiness prior to your progression into perfection. You see that, brothers and sisters? According to the author, the first step of bringing holiness into completion is cleansing or purification. Cleanse thyself, right? You can cleanse yourself, brothers and sisters. He said, let us cleanse ourselves. See, this is something you must do. A lot of us say, well, you know, God's working on me and, you know, I'm going to be changing and God's going to hopefully... I heard one brother say, you know what, I just hope one, one day I'll just wake up and be different. I'm like, brother, that's never going to happen. God is not going to force you into, to, you know, to being different, brother. You're not going to just change overnight. You actually have to do this, right? You actually have to stop what you're doing. 
Let us show you that you have the ability, we have the ability to cleanse ourselves. Let's go to 2 Timothy 2 and 21 to prove this. There is a responsibility that belongs to you and I, brothers and sisters, that you can't put on God's plate. 2 Timothy 2 and 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these. If he do what? Purge himself from these. He shall have a vessel or shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Brothers and sisters, in these texts, Paul emphasizes or his emphasis is on what our responsibility to cleanse ourselves from the defilement of sin. We have to cleanse ourselves, brothers and sisters. I always tell brothers, you know, I can pray for you and all that. But sometimes you just have to stop, okay? For me to pray for you to stop, you know, being an alcoholic. Brother, you have to just stop drinking, okay? For me to pray for you to stop dealing with pornography and lust. Brother, you have to put the phone down, okay? That's something you have to do, okay? You have to say no. Many times we're not strong enough to say no. And until you're strong enough saying, to say no and stand firm on that, it's going to be the battle. It's going to be a constant battle because you're afraid to say no. Let's read those two scriptures one more time. I please note that verse 21, cleansing is our responsibility. Second Th Timothy 2 and 21. If a man therefore purge himself from thee, yes. he shall be a vessel unto honor. What shall he be? A vessel unto honor. According to the author, cleansing yourself to become a vessel of honor is your responsibility. He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified. And meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Look at that. Paul is telling you that your serviceability is directly affiliated with your pursuit of holiness, not your biblical intellect. And this is what I, I, try, I always try to point this out. God is not going to use you because you know scripture, <laughs> brothers and sisters. Why? Because our people don't, our people are looking at your life. Okay, you know a man by his fruits. So you can have all this deep knowledge and have the Bible memorized front and back. If your life does not match what's coming out of that Bible, I don't want to hear it from you. <laughs> and that's just how people are, brothers and sisters. The Bible tell you what? Uh, that a, a, a poor man will be ignored. He can have information to, to save a city, but because he's poor and can't help himself, people will ignore him. It's just the truth, brothers and sisters. People look at your life and make a determination on whether I should follow you. Because if what you're saying isn't even working for you, then I, I mean, I don't want anything to do with that. See that, brothers and sisters? The text magnifies the importance of what? Your inner life. Your inner life. Let's read those scriptures one more time. Verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these... He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, mm. 
but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Brothers and sisters, verse 22, Paul provides a strategy to win the war on lust. What was it, brother? Flee also youthful lust, and follow righteousness, faith, peace, charity, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Let's read that first part again. Flee also youthful lust. Flee youthful lust. This was what he said. That was his strategy to win against the win the war on the lust. Flee youthful lust, right? Okay. Mark that, brothers and sisters. Let's go to James 4 and 7. Mark that. Flee youthful lust, right? Go to James, the fourth chapter, the seventh verse. James 4 and 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Look at this closely. Remember, 2 Timothy just said what, brothers and sisters? 2 Timothy 2 and 22 said, flee youthful lust, right? Now look at verse 7 here. Verse 7, submit yourselves to God. Do what? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Then what? And resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The Most High's powerful nature only gives dominion over sin through what? Submission. You see that? Let's read that one more time. Verse 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. See, that's it, brothers and sisters. Resisting the devil must be accompanied by submitting to the Most High God. Why? Because a disobedient or unsubmissive believer will not see victory. I've spoken to brothers and they're saying, I don't, I don't feel like, you know, I have power. Satan doesn't really, you know, when I, when I'm saying things, I don't feel any power. I'm like, well, brother, have you submitted? <laughs> because until you submit, he's not, he don't care what you're talking about. Your power is in your submission, brother and sisters. Until you submit, you have no power. You can be rebuking them in your shy's name and all this. You don't have no power. You haven't submitted. You haven't submitted Jack. And brothers and sisters, there's a scripture in the Bible where a brother was healing. He was healing in the name of Yeshua, in the name of Christ. And the demon jumped on him, brothers and sisters. The demon, this is what the demon said. Peter, I know. Christ, I know. You, I do not know, and jumped in them, brothers and sisters. That's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. So unless you have submitted, you can know the Most High's name, you can know Christ's name and all that. But you don't have any power until you submit your powers and your submission. How do we know? Let's read that again. Verse 7. <clears throat> submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. The resist. This is resistance training, brothers and sisters. The more you resist him, he will flee. But I wanted to show you what. Second Timothy, he said, flee you for lust. When it comes to Satan, he's saying resist. So what does that tell you, brothers and sisters? Which one is stronger? Which one is stronger, brothers and sisters? Your flesh or the devil? According to the Bible, your flesh is why you're going to be in trouble, not the devil, brothers and sisters. Because as long as you can control and subjugate your flesh, Satan can't force you to do anything. He can suggest it, 
right? But it's your flesh. You see, David should have ran from Bathsheba, even though he stood there toe to toe with Goliath. Why? Bathsheba is stronger than Goliath. It was clear, brothers and sisters. Flee, youthful us, but stand and resist the devil. You see that, brothers and sisters? There's only one. There's only one enemy, brothers and sisters, that can that can actually beat us, and that's your flesh. That is yourself, brothers and sisters. And this is what I try to. The point I try to make to the children of Israel. I don't have hatred for the white man or the African or any other man, brothers and sisters, because I understand that they cannot beat us. The only thing they can do is put all this sin out here. They know this. They understand the rules of engagement. We have to get them to sin. That's the only way they can relegate their power to us. We can't beat them with natural force. Brute force can't do that. So we have to... Put all these avenues of sin out there with the music and the harlotry, the clothes, the drugs. We got to do this. We need them to beat themselves. We can't beat them. We need them to beat themselves. I wanted to show you that I, where I'm from in the Christian church, they blame everything on Satan. Everything is the devil is a lie. No, you're a liar. You're a liar. Okay? You're allowing your flesh to lead you. Satan is probably like, I mean, they just blame me for everything. <laughs> they blame me for everything. He'd be minding his own business somewhere, brothers and sisters. You're dealing with your own lust. Remember, what did James say? What did James say, brothers and sisters? Hmm? <laughs> A man is drawn to his own lust and enticed. You'll blame Satan for that. You'll blame Satan for your own lust, for, for being de uh, you know, deceived. You'll blame him for your own desire. This is what we do, brothers and sisters. The devil is not a boogeyman, right? He's an enemy who uses our own weaknesses against us. He can't do anything to us other than what? We're going to show you. Other than what? What's his power? 2 Corinthians 4 and 3. 2 Corinthians 4 and 3. See, he can't do anything physically. This is what he can do, though. 2 Corinthians 4 and 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. What did he do? Hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Brothers and sisters, examine the source of the ignorance. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 4, or verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. So those who are lost don't understand the truth of the gospel. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Blinded the minds. Satan rules by ignorance, brothers and sisters. Remember, Proverbs said, with all thy getting, get understanding. Okay? Satan can only rule over you in your area of ignorance, brothers and sisters. So any area of ignorance you have in your life, he's going to rule over you. That's his, that's his power right there, brothers and sisters. That is his power. This is why we're going into this. Because once, it's, once we pull it out, brothers and sisters, once we shed light on it, he can't rule over you. What does the God of this world do, brother? The God of this world 
hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So Satan actively participates in blinding the minds of those who don't submit to Christ. You see that? So the greatest problem of man is not sin or Satan. It's ignorance. According to what we learned, brothers and sisters. We're going to go to our final scripture. Each and every one of us, brothers and sisters, will have a final examination. It's just like when, I was in, when we were in school, right? You had that very last test at the end of the year. Uh, what, I don't know if they called it finals. I think they called it finals. Uh, before and if you passed it, you went on to the next standard, right? So you you if you fail it, you stay in the same standard or grade, right? Let's go to Second Corinthians five and ten. This is the final examination. Second Corinthians five verse ten. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body. According to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Brothers and sisters, Paul is motivated by the awareness of a coming judgment. This is what I like to call the final examination, brothers and sisters. When you stand before the Messiah, the text tells us we will stand before Christ and be held accountable for what? Our choices. So Christ will require an account. For all things done in his absence, brothers and sisters. Let's read that one more time and let's close out. Second Corinthians 5 and 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. May receive the things done in his body, according to what he hath done, good or bad. Brothers and sisters, the title of today's lesson was Sharpening the Axe, Uncovering the Sin Beneath the Sin. I believe today's lesson, um, if utilized properly, if internalized, if studied, will help many men and women make it to the end. Many people will dismiss this. They'll just listen to it strictly for intellectual property. But those who are really fighting, this will help. When it becomes too strong, when you become weary, when you become tired, this information, if applied properly, will work, brothers and sisters. It will work. How do we know? Because it's in the Bible. The law of the Lord, the Bible is perfect, it's flawless, making wise the simple. Okay? It's divine from the Most High's mouth to our ears, brothers and sisters, from his lips to our ears. We talked about fruit sins and root sins. How to identify the difference between the fruit and the root? We learned that you have to aim to the root because as long as there's root, there will also continue to be fruit, brothers and sisters. Today was a a very, very important lesson for all men and women during the hour of temptation. I pray that you, you internalize this 
and you use this. When Satan comes against you, like Matthew the fourth chapter, you have to find out what your weakness is. God will reveal your weakness to you. He will reveal it to you so you can tighten it up. He won't allow you to go into war blind, brothers and sisters. He always shows you where your weakness is. So you can work on that going forward before it's actually Satan using that against you. See, because when Satan uses it against you, it's going to be life or death. The Most High uses it to just show you, okay, this is where you're weak. You think you're strong, but this right here, Satan can come this way. He can come this way every time and you're going to fall. See that, brothers and sisters? The closer you get to him, the closer you get to his presence, there's light. That's, that's the whole thing. What did he say in Psalms? What did he say? He said, in his presence is fullness of joy. In his presence is light, brothers and sisters. In his presence, you can cleanse yourself. So as we get closer and closer to him, he's shining light because that's what he is. He's light and is revealing certain things that may not be a problem right now, but it will be a problem if you don't get it under control. It will become a problem, brothers and sisters. So I encourage you, internalize this information, brothers and sisters. Pray on it. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.